The following program is brought to you in living color. Let's start drinking. Oh, not so fast. In order for the tannins to mellow, we should let it breathe for about 30 minutes. Freaking tannins. I just don't understand what is wrong with you two. What is the joy that this stuff possibly brings you? It's just... It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's not fun. You two have demons you're trying to compensate for. Well, what about you? You're having a glass of wine. I'm not having a glass of wine. I'm having six. It's called a tasting, and it's classy. It's The Wine Crush, the show that's all about the grape. Now, here's the host of The Wine Crush, the woman selected best wine show host within earshot, Laura Lawson. You all know people like this. You may be people like this. Welcome to The Wine Crush. I am Laura Lawson, the favorite Chardonnay sipping diva, and you are listening to the show that's all about the grape in all its glory, all the vine, all the time, everything you ever wanted to know about our nicely sunburned, a little laid back little grape. And it's a happy grape today because it realizes that I am going to take a different tactic with today's show. I am going to do this show less tongue-in-cheek and truly do an educational bent. Because ultimately, what we are going to discuss today are wine tastings. And at wine tastings, the wine tasting terminology. Now, in the past, we have certainly reviewed the concept of a wine tasting. We've discussed your attire. We've discussed how to uh, really carry yourself through a wine tasting. We have looked at it from the perspective of what to do, the decorum, the expected attitude towards it. But I tend to do that with a little bit of, shall we say, a sardonic sense of humor, maybe a little bit of a dark nature, as Kent would point out today. But no, today we are going to look at it from an entirely different angle because, to be honest, I've gotten some great emails from you, our listeners. You have sent me emails regarding some specifics of wine tasting that perhaps we have glossed over some things. To help us, get a handle on wine tasting. We have Mr. Dan Berger. Of course, Dan has been on the show before. He is an author. He has done a little bit of everything from reviews to blogging to writing. This man is truly a jack of all trades when it comes to the written and spoken word about wine. So he's going to help us on some wine tasting terminology. And we will get to all of that at some point. But I just have to throw this in and I've got to get this off my chest. Are men a different species? Wow. I mean, in what way? You ask a man a question or you give him a confined set of parameters and it just never ceases to amaze me how they can find a color outside the parameters. Let me give a for instance. I was uh, upstairs talking to boss man mm-hmm. and he had asked for very specific dates on something. Right. And he'd asked me for dates two or three times and I told him, wait till I can get you concrete dates. And once I have concrete dates, I will give them to you. So I finally give man dates right and i send them in text form i send them an email form and i speak them aloud to them what is the first response i get from said man where are the dates where are the dates followed by are they flexible (laughs) i I don't get it i I really really just don't Do, do you just have this portion of your brain that's just it's so elastic that you just don't see in things in black and white i don't get it my guess is that that said boss has not really digested the information yet. That's my guess. I just don't understand the man. He doesn't know what you're talking about right now. You ask me a question, I give you an answer. If you don't like the answer to the question I am giving you, then why even ask the question? I why don't, don't you just know. tell me to begin with that this won't work? Don't use these dates. Don't use this parameter. Don't use this terminology, and then answer the question. You have to understand something about men, though. I don't. I don't understand very, a damn thing about men. Very often, our lives are a blur of activities and things that we have to do and accomplish. Activities and things you have to do generally that they, women planned or told you to well, do. They, I know. That's it. Our our lives are full of this swirling mass of things to do that women gave us to do, and we haven't done them yet. Because we know that even though you have thumbs, you have absolutely no responsibility when it comes to a calendar. There is no point to giving you a calendar. You'll just color the squares in and put little smiley faces no, on them. No, 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 we won't. We make our best effort Yes. to, to try to digest the information. Digesting but information. But then the women, the women get excited about something, and all of a sudden the facts go flying around in our head, and we don't know what we're doing anymore. 
At least. That's okay. It. So there, we have that on record that you freely admit you don't know what you're doing. Right. Outstanding. I could use a glass of wine. Have you got anything? <laughs> we don't do wine around here. Oh, okay. We only do the wines with an H. Anyway, speaking of a glass of wine, sorry about that, listeners. Now you can tune back in. But you have to admit, some of you have to agree with me. Men make no sense. And this will all tie together before this show is over with. But feel free to weigh in, 877-4-CRUSH-1, or email me, Laura Lawson at winecrush.com, as long as they aren't just vague, sundry answers. But for those of us who now have a headache after that discourse, I do have two great wine recommendations for you. It is summertime, and I know I have not really fallen back on my pleasurable Chardonnay, but I have found something that's very, very refreshing. We have talked about this vineyard before, and we've talked about this winery, but I don't believe we have looked at this wine specifically. Chamisol Vineyards does something called a stainless Chardonnay. Now, since we are using today's show to educate, I will discourse a little bit here. When I say a stainless Chardonnay, what this means is this Chardonnay has seen no oak. And by seeing no oak, it is totally fermented in a stainless tank, which means when you go to a wine tasting and you sit down and say, oh, this is a stainless Chardonnay, you should not expect to really get any vanilla off it. You shouldn't get any caramel, any smoke, or any oaky notes. So there, you've been educated. However, educate you further, the Chamisol Stainless Chardonnay. This is just very refreshing this time of year. You can get it down icy cold. It's got a great little screw cap on it. And it's just got that great balance palette. Because it's not over-oaked, it doesn't have that heavy cloying body. It's crisp. It's refreshing. It's got Monterey fruit. This, this wine is a Central Coast wine, but it's Monterey fruit. And so because of this, you get some of that great tropical note on it. You get some banana. You get some pineapple. And it has the acid to carry this out. A lot of times when you get some tropical fruit and put oak together with it, it can be a bit weighty and a little heavy. Nope, this is just light and effervescent and fun and just great summertime Chardonnay. So Chamisol Vineyards out of Central Coast, the stainless version. Now, not that all their wines aren't good, but we're looking for refreshing today, and that would be it. Now, usually I do not get swayed by any of our guests when it comes to wine recommendations, and I will go ahead and say this. Yes, every recommendation I give is totally unsolicited. We are not paid for. People do not look to pay us to do recommendations, and occasionally we get sent bottles of wine. We just may not mention them if we don't like them. However, when we had the winemaker from Pedrastelli on, he did mention something about a dry rosé of Zinfandel when I was discussing the fact it was summertime and it was hard to get my head around a Zin. So I did. I fell into the trap. I went and tracked down a bottle of this. And I realized it's supposed to be a red wine recommendation, but this tied in so nicely, it was perfect. What this is, our red wine, which is actually a rosé today, is Dry Creek Valley Dry Rosé of Zinfandel. And, of course, this is by Pedrinselli. This thing is ripe. It's got great strawberries on it. It's got great berry. You get red plum flavors. So what you do is you get a lighter version of a red wine nose, but when you put it on your tongue, it's light. It has acid to it. It's got just a warmth to it that is absolutely spectacular. It goes great with salads. It went great with stuff off the grill. This thing was absolutely fantastic. So please do not be put up by the fact that it is pink. There is nothing sweet about this. What happens is they take the Zinfandel, they crush it, and then they pull the actual juice off the skins. So it just has this pretty delicate pink color. But I will say this, there's not much delicate about this wine. It's just wonderful. It's a heady rosé that I think everyone will enjoy. So thank you. Yes, I fell victim, but it's definitely worth it and definitely worth our listeners. For those that didn't take the recommendation from the winemaker last week, I encourage you to do it today. So as we look at things from a wine point of view, and as we decide to investigate tasting terminology, I'm going to go down and answer some age-old questions that we have gotten through email. Now, once again, we do incorporate your phone calls and your email into the crush. I just tend to wait until they kind of balance out and answer to a theme of the show. So remember, email me, Laura Lawson at winecrush.com. Or, of course, if you're feeling brave, you can talk to Kent on the wine line at 877-4-CRUSH-1. Yeah. And, and to, even though he has admitted to not knowing what he's doing, I think today maybe he will I try and figure it out. I didn't say that. I said, 
sometimes men, we zone out a little bit because there's too much information swirling around in our heads. There's another man in the studio right now, and he's nodding in agreement. No, he's not. There he he's goes. looking at you. He's pointing at you and laughing. <laughs> and God knows we all know that you zone out occasionally as I ask you questions, and you ask me the same question I answered on the show 15 minutes before. I know. I had a question about something you said earlier, but I'm afraid to ask it, so we'll get to it later. Oh, no, by all means, please do. Let's get all this trauma over in the open. All right, you said in this wine that you recommended, you said it's light and you get the feeling of acid on your tongue. Yes. What is that? Okay. When you look at having a perfectly balanced wine, you're just doing this to humor me. I see the little smile on no, your face. I'm just asking. You're just trying to make me happy. You've already told me I look like the devil. So you're just trying to <laughs> pander to my ego at this point. The question came into my <laughs> mind and I'm asking. See, now this is my problem with women. You're you pandering. You ask them a question and then they don't want to answer you. They'll start zipping around and making something your fault that's what's going on here. i have I no see. problem doing it you're trying to placate me because you know you have to put up with me for the next two hours <laughs> right. anyway as far as having the feeling of acid on your tongue acid is truly a component in all wines whether it's white whether it's red whether it's sparkling now people tend to associate the idea of acid with white wines particularly say let's suggest a sauvignon blanc then all of a sudden you taste it you feel that tartness, you feel your mouth kind of pucker like it would on a, say, a lemon or a citrus fruit. But wines all have acid and they all need acid to balance out whether it's the chemical components, whether it's the esters, whether it's the body of the wine, whether it's the flavoring. Acid is what carries the wine, carries the color, and really can make a wine refreshing. Yes, wines can be too acidic, but there is something about that lovely little zing and the balance that people do like. Let's face facts. People drink lemonade. People drink orange juice. Those are highly acidic beverages. All right. Does that make sense? Would I notice it more in a drier wine than a, than a wet wine? Than a wet wine? Than a, would I notice I, I, it more in a drier wine? Okay. I have made a point today to not do this, this show tongue in cheek, and I'm going to try and educate. Uh, a drier style wine is one that doesn't have any sugar in it. Right. That's what dry means. Yes. A wet wine is actually all of them since they're liquid, unless somehow you've screwed up and frozen them. Right. All wines are wet. Okay. So it's not wet or dry. Okay. Dry is a style. Dry just means Well, that's it, what I mean. A yes. drier style wine, would I notice the acidic taste more? You can, yes. Okay. Definitely. Just because it doesn't have sugar. In the sweeter wines, you don't sense the acid as much, which I really think you should. Then the wine will be in balance. But since we have proven on several occasions in the last 10 minutes that there is absolutely nothing balanced about this show today, why should we discuss a balanced wine? That's true. Fair enough? That's true. Okay. It's time for the break. It's probably safe. Hey, we're going to take a quick break right here. When we return, we are going to take a hard look at wine tasting terminology, how it applies to you, and what can be gained from it. For pictures, videos, show recaps, and more, become a fan of Wine Crush Radio Group on Facebook. Do you owe back taxes to the IRS? Newsflash, the president has changed the tax laws. And now you may be able to pay the IRS less. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, the tax doctor can help you pay the IRS as little as possible allowed by law. There are new tax laws for business owners, the self-employed, even W-2 workers. If you have a back tax problem or a few years of unfilled returns, new help to save you money is now here. Call right now to see how the new tax Tax laws can help you. Plus, right now, we'll waive the consultation fee and give you a free tax savings report. Attention business owners, the self-employed, and W-2 workers. Make this free call to the tax doctor now and learn how to take advantage of the new tax laws that may help you pay the IRS less. 800-281-7048. 800-281-7048. That's 800-281-7048. Do you have an idea for an invention or new product? Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Then call InventHelp now. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential and explains every step of the invention process. We create professional materials representing your idea and submit it to companies who are looking for new ideas. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents 
patents. We also offer services including 3D modeling and animation demonstrating your idea, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to show InventHelp client ideas to additional companies. Join the thousands of people just like you who chose InventHelp to pursue their idea. We are experienced. We are working for you. We are InventHelp. Call us for free information at 1-800-542-6751. This is the news. This morning, we are saluting the 2.2 million women who have joined in the war effort. They now make up 37% of the workforce, changing their role forever. The prestigious Harvard Medical School is breaking ground today, opening its doors to new female applicants. Today, little girls all over the world look to the sky, where the first woman is now in space. Military stereotypes are challenged today with the trailblazing promotion of a U.S. female officer to four-star general. It was just announced that the vast majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women. We've come so far, but our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting. Location? Uh, in the woods, just outside of town. Oh, not surprising. You've got your home. Bears have theirs. Yeah, but see, this wasn't just any bear. This bear was wearing jeans and a hat, as in a smoky bear. Jeans and a hat. That's definitely smoky. What exactly did he have to say? Well, we were about to head home, you know, after having a bonfire. Oh, I can guess where this is going. Right, right. See, Smokey told me the fire wasn't actually out. He said if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. That's true. Did you know that 9 out of 10 wildfires fires are caused by humans that means nine out of ten wildfires can be prevented wow no kidding i'm a forest ranger we never kid sorry (laughs) that was a joke oh if you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire step in and make a difference because nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans brought to you by smoky bear the u.s forest service your state forester and the ad council learn more at smokybear.com only you can prevent wildfires We're back with more of the Wine Crush. Welcome back to the Wine Crush. I'm Laura Lawson. Today we are taking a look at wine tasting terminology. And as much as we like to propose that we're trying to make wine easier, that we're trying to get people more involved in wine, that we're making it more approachable, there's just a language associated with wine. Just like any endeavor whether it's engineering, whether it's airplanes, whether it's sports, whether it's football, soccer, tennis, every pursuit has its own language. And in doing so, you have to understand the language to slowly understand the pursuit. Same thing holds true with wine. We just tend to seem to make it a little difficult. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that, haha, stems, stems from the fact that it's because there's a lot of foreign words in the idea of what is describing wine. Let's face facts, wine is an old world phenomenon. It may be worldwide, but it is old world. So when you take different languages and you mesh it all together, that's where you get some complexity. So let's start here. Uh, These are all emails that we have received here at The Crush over the past seven months when we've discussed wine tastings. So I'm just going to run them down. Uh, Like Kent said, he's not usually on top of things. So I have no idea who wrote me these emails. So thank you very much. I just have them in front of me. So let's start here. I have an email. What exactly defines a palate? Why do we call it a palate? And what does it constitute? This is actually what should be a very straightforward question is fairly difficult to answer because people have so many different connotations of this. Now, if you go to your local dictionary, it becomes obvious why this is called a palate. And the palate, ultimately, if you look at, I think it's the Merriam-Webster definition, is the soft palate or vellum or muscular palate comprising the back of the roof of the mouth. That's fairly straightforward. To have a wine palate, it actually, palate describes the back of your mouth. Got it. And they say that 90% of what we get from tasting wine is from aroma. 
is from the smelling of the wine. It's from what's coming through your nostrils. It is the smell of the wine that tells you what you're tasting. So ergo, if we say your wine palate, we are referring to all the molecules hitting that soft vellum part of the back of your throat. Now, of course, because we're discussing wine, it cannot be that easy. Now, if you ask a Frenchman to define a palate, you're going to get a 30-minute discourse along the lines of a palette being just like an artiste palette with all the different colors and all the different nuances and all the different shades that add up to the overall view and vision and knowledge that you see in the painting just as such in wine. Yeah, great. That always helps everybody. Ultimately, here's what a palette is. A palette is the broad range of your experience with wine. Some people are going to have broad palates. And when you hear someone having a broad palate, it means they've drunk a lot. Some people have narrow palates. If you have a narrow palate, it means you only like, really, a very select set of wines. You may like a varietal. You may like a style. You may like oak. You may not like oak. But ultimately, everybody's palate is individual. And it's not just, it's not just the idea of what's at the back of your throat. And it's not just the colors or shades or aromas you have to work with. A palate to me is the sum total of your wine knowledge. And it's expressed solely by tactile sensations, whether it's the taste, whether it's the smell, whether it's the touch, whether it's the body. It's putting all that together in a wine, and it's ultimately what your brain comes up with. What do you taste? Do you taste flowers? Do you taste oranges? Do you taste lemons? Do you taste clover? boysenberry, blueberries, blackberries? Do you taste coffee? Do you taste fingernail polish remover? All of this adds together to be your palate. Now, people's palates can be expanded, You just like you can expand your horizons. Instead of using the word palate from now on, why don't you use your wine horizon? All of us work on expanding our horizons every day, and if you work on expanding your wine horizon, then what you're doing is you're trying to learn more smells. You're trying to learn exactly what does a boysenberry smell like? What does Captain Crunch smell like? What does a cement after a hot rainfall on a hot day smell like? All these things add into your wine horizon so you can put it all together and come up with your own palate. I know this is an abstract concept and it's hard to imagine, but understand this. Everyone has a palate. It's personal. It can be defined. And it can be educated. All these things put in together definitely make it more than the soft top of the back of your mouth. So hope that helps your definition of palate. Right now, though, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will have Mr. Dan Berger to go into some wine tasting terminology and help me out in educating you. Hey, travelers. Do you want to save money on your next flight? Then pick up the phone and call. That's right, call. Because the best prices are not online. They're with SmartFares. See, SmartFares has special deals with the airlines. When they have unsold seats, they use SmartFares to fill them. So you get airline tickets at ridiculously low prices. Our prices are too low to publish online. With the extra money you'll save, you can book another trip or treat yourself to dinner or shopping. So stop searching all of those travel sites to find the lowest price on your next flight. Let one of our SmartFares expert travel agents find ridiculously low prices for you. Call SmartFares today and get the best price on your next flight. Guaranteed. Also, save up to 50% off business and first-class tickets. 800-989-0233. 800-989-0233. 800-989-0233. That's 800-989-0233. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I, I want to be a bike that races around the when country. When I grow up, 
I want to be a bench on a forest when I trail. Grow up. I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny up, porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be. 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. My student loan is totally paid off. I can't believe it. I can't believe it either. I paid more than the minimum each month, and soon enough, it was gone. So you're just giving up. Giving up on what? The life of luxury. Egyptian cotton, caviar Thursdays, designer everything. What are you talking about? Our plan. What happened to winning the lottery and mastering the art of the perfect mimosa? Hosting galas, wearing enough jewelry to require a bodyguard, vacationing in the French Riviera, and then buying it. I just thought maybe it was time to prepare for my future. You know, set some financial goals, make some smart investments, open a 401k. Financial goals? Investments? A 401k? You are horrifying right now. Listen, if winning the lottery were easy, everyone would do it. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council on the next episode of Recipes for Disaster. So we've got our neighbor Paul coming over tonight for a barbecue, which is why I prepared a delicious lemon rosemary steak marinade for my special collection of old family recipes. To make sure the steaks are extra, extra, extra tender, I left them marinating out on the counter overnight, just like Nana used to. Maria may mean well, but without food safety, it never ends well. Always thaw or marinate foods in the refrigerator at 40 degrees Fahrenheit or below. Or you could make your friends and family really sick. Maria's neighbor Paul didn't think twice about the steak he ate until he was presenting his company's financial forecast to the board. That's when a sudden bout of food poisoning made it explicitly clear that profits weren't the only thing on the rise. Watch Recipes for Disaster at foodsafety.gov. You'll learn the right steps as Maria does everything wrong. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. Now more of Laura Lawson and the Wine Crush. I'm Laura Lawson. Welcome back to the Wine Crush. Right now we have an old friend joining us here on the Crush. We have Mr. Dan Berger with the Press Democrat. Dan, welcome back to the Wine Crush. Hey, thanks for having me, uh, Laura. It's nice to talk with you. It is always fun to talk with you, especially because we're going to have a little fun today. I have opened the show, and this is all based on the article you wrote on July 9th about tasting terminology, wine tasting terminology, and the fact that those of us who have been in the business, we tend to get a little extreme. On the flip side of it, we have newcomers that don't understand it. So today's show has been about wine tasting terminology, and I learned a lesson in the first segment. And I'm looking forward to hearing your take on this, too. Someone had written an email asking me about defining a palate. And all of a sudden, I realized I've taught 10 minutes about palate. And it just kind of leads into the fact that wine tasting terminology certainly has a mind of its own. Yes or no? Absolutely. And it, it's all very personal. Uh, if you have a term that you use to describe an aroma or taste because you've had a previous experience with that, that term is very personal to you, and it's very real to you, and it absolutely works for you. That means that that term is valid. That doesn't mean to say that other people will ever understand what you're talking about, but that sometimes is the best thing because it means that you have created for yourself a wine-tasting term that you understand and only you can really relate to. Now, other people may call it by a different thing. We had, I had a friend some years ago who used to refer to a smell in Sauvignon Blanc that he would get occasionally, and he called it thawed frozen spinach. Now, I understand <laughs> that. I understand that. You know, it sounds very unattractive, but you know what? That wine, he always used that, that term to refer to a wine he liked. He it, said, well, that's kind of like that thawed frozen spinach thing that I really like, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I get it. I've never used that term before, and I never use it to this day, but I do remember him saying it. <laughs> But see, everyone, it, that is it. Wine has its own language that confounds people, but each one of us do have our own languages, and there's so many synonyms that we don't even realize it. A story very similar growing up in the South, when I say jasmine, 
to me, it is always Confederate jasmine. There is a jasmine out there that has little white flowers, and it's very pungent, and it's very heady, and it has a certain smell. And I was sitting down with a winemaker out in California, and I said, my God, the jasmine on this Viognier is absolutely fantastic. And the winemaker said, there is no jasmine on there. And we started going back and forth and back and forth. And, of course, I'm like, you're crazy. Just for meanness, I finally figured it out that he was talking about the jasmine that the rest of the country knows as the pretty yellow flowers. Just for meanness, I took an envelope when the jasmine bloomed. I cut off Confederate jasmine. I mailed it to him. And all I got back was, you're right. So it's all your matter of experiences that add up into this different terminology. I used to have, uh, there was a, a, a smell in some red wines that I would get. And it uh, goes all the way back to my formative years when I was literally five or six years old. And I would go into a little uh, candy store. And there was a store uh, near where I uh, was uh, born. And it was basically a candy store. And he had a smell in that store. And it was all Henry's Candy Store. And, you know, I don't use that in print. I don't tell people, boy, this, this wine, this red wine really has a slight hint of that Henry's Candy Store. Because they've never been in Henry's Candy Store. It's long gone. But it means something to me. So I've had to come up with another uh, term. And what I like to use in that respect is sort of like a faint burnt sugar. Now, I think we can all relate to burnt sugar. I'm not sure very many people can ever, lived in my neighborhood, ever could uh, <laughs> remember Henry's Candy Store. <laughs> but no, it resonates, and it's the perfect descriptor. I mean, we can go back and forth on this. All our listeners have have heard me talk about cheap Pinot to me. When I was a kid, I'd go to Six Flags and get those little plastic grapey things that had the squirrely straws in them. Cheap Absolutely. Pinot to me tastes like that. No one else can relate to that, but to this day when I taste it, I know it. And Dan, that's what your article was talking about, and that's one of the reasons why I'm going to love having fun with this, is because ultimately everybody has their own footprint. Everyone has their own stamp, and everyone has their own idea of what it should be. So there's absolutely no reason for these people who are getting into wine who are just coming into the fold so to speak to look at an old timer when they're saying something at a tasting saying one that person is trying to show off or two that person is wrong do you agree or disagree oh absolutely i agree and it's there is a, a commonly used phrase in this business there are no wrong answers there are no wrong phrases if something smells like that to you then it's that's something that you made your own uh, if a wine smells like uh, two-day-old gym socks then so be it that's that's what it smells like to you uh, other people might use a different terminology. That's no problem. It's their terminology. On the other hand, there is a standard set of terms uh, that are commonly accepted for the use uh, for describing wine uh, when it's uh, done in a professional setting. The UC Davis Aroma Wheel gives you a set of terms, and anybody can go online and take a look at the uh, UC Davis Aroma Wheel, and you'll see those terms. They are commonly accepted. It is, and it also goes hand-in-hand hand with talking about certain faults in wine. Whether I have TCA, whether I have cork, whether I have volatile acidity, it's not showing off. It's just a fact. I am getting ethyl diethylate on this, or I'm getting these noses and flavors. They're really there. This isn't just something I am making up. Now, two other things. One thing would be if it's used in a, in a, a wine-tasting setting where uh, people who are technically oriented are using those terms to discuss among each other, that's fine. But the second part is uh, a good wine columnist is not going to use those terms in print because the vast majority of people are not so technically inclined. And uh, so you basically have to say, yeah, uh, I would drink this wine or I won't drink this wine and not be too technical because it, it kind, kind of tends to lose people in the middle of the discussion. But ultimately, too, if we're going to talk about in print, sometimes when you get those flavors that you're discussing or those chemical components, Aren't we generally indicating a fault or something actually wrong with the wine? I mean, that's what our palates are trained to do is find fault, and we all know it does happen. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that that's important to, to make a point is that if you're using a, a technical term that happens to be chemically oriented, generally speaking, that is a flaw. There are a couple of cases where I could actually think of a, of a technical uh, term uh, for a wine that actually uh, enhances the wine slightly, perhaps, um, but again, uh, all of this is very much uh, esoteric, and I think uh, in terms of my writing and putting it into news, uh, newspapers around the country, you don't want to try to emphasize uh, technical details very much because the vast majority of your readers are not so technically inclined. 
You know, it was interesting. We, we've been fortunate. We've had several editors on the show, whether they were from old-time publications, some of the true standbys, some of the new guys that are writing blogs. And it seems to me there's this great division in the wine world that, one, we're either making wine too difficult for people to enter into this, or, two, that we're making it too easy and making it easy on the people who want to learn about wine. There's got to be a good mid-ground here. You can't have all the new kids coming in and saying, oh, well, you're wrong, this is how it tastes, this is what it is, without using our language. But on the flip side of it, our technical terms, the least I can do, I think, is if you're going to actually get involved in wine, at least learn the structure, learn the footprint, learn the foundation of wine, so that when you do sit down in a tasting, if you're privileged enough to sit down with Dan or you're sitting down with me or a winemaker, that you don't sound like an ass by saying, oh, that's wrong. Yes or no? Uh, yeah, I think if people start to make uh, uh, specific statements about quality, you have to remember that there are people who like uh, Monet and there are people who like Van Gogh. And sometimes people who like Van Gogh don't like the people who like the Monet. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, there, taste, it's a matter of taste all the way around. Hey, Dan, we need to take a quick pause right here. Do you mind hanging out while we hear a couple commercials and we'll pick this up after the break? Go for it. Follow host Laura Lawson on Twitter at Wine Crush Radio. This is the Wine Crush. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5735. That's 1-800-829-5735. Again, 1-800-829-5735. Do you use the expensive blue or yellow pills to charge your sex life? Are you thinking about it? What if we could promise you the same results for less than $3 a pill? If you're paying $20 a pill for the other pills, you're getting taken to the cleaners. Call On Call Pharmacy right now and save as much as $700. 800-884-7919. On Call Pharmacy delivers the exact same results for less than $3. You'll save more than $16 a pill for the same results. And right now, radio callers will get 44 blue or yellow pills for 120 bucks with free discreet shipping. You can save more than $700 off pharmacy prices. Call On Call Pharmacy now and take advantage of this special offer. 800-884-7919. Charge your sex life now and save a ton of money. Call now and get your 44 pills and save over $700 and qualify for free shipping. Stop overpaying and call right now. 800-884-7919. 800-884-7919. 800-884-7919. Welcome back to The Cat Show. Up next, we have Nico. Nico is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right. A group known especially for their sunspot sleeping, ball chasing, leg rubbing, couch purring, bed leaping, and of course, companionship. Wonderful. And what breed would you say Nico is? I'd have to go with a tabbyish Persian kind of mix. Tremendous cat. I'd also like to point out her coat's wonderful mix of colors. Is it black, gray, gray, black, brown? Somewhere in between. Indeed. You know, it's always special when we get to see a cat like this. Just look how she struts. It's like she owns the place. And how she's so incredibly cute in her indifference to commands. A strong-willed feline. Ah, and see how she curls up and cuddles her person. The pitch on her purring is simply perfect. Nice one. I know. Fantastic cat. Fantastic indeed. But really the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Nico is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Now it's more of the Wine Crush. Welcome back to the Crush. I'm Laura Lawson. Right now we are online with Dan Berger, the man of the press Democrat and jack of all trades, master of the word, to say the least. Dan, are you still with us? 
I certainly am, and I'm pleased to be here. Well, listen, here on the article you wrote on July 9th, I want to get back to talking about the, the technical terms that we use in wine, but this just really strikes a chord with me because this seems to have the perfect balance between old world and new. You write, sometimes I find a red wine that is bitter as well as astringent, and yet the comment isn't meant as negative. A lot of the tastings I have gone to lately with these new people coming up in the world, if I were to say the wine's bitter and astringent, there's like, oh, yes, that wine was terrible. They don't get it. They don't understand it. Elaborate on that comment that you made in the article. Well, the reference I made was to a young Barolo. If you have never tasted old Barolo and found out how fabulous they are when they reach maturity, then you'll never understand why people will spend money on young Barolo that tastes slightly bitter and slightly astringent. I mean, that's what the makeup of those wines is pretty much all about. That doesn't mean to say that you're a snob by saying, you know, I'll spend $65 a bottle for this stuff because it tastes bitter and astringent. I'm buying the wine for $65 because if I hold on to it for 15 years, it's going to be totally fabulous. And that's the whole uh, relationship that eludes so many newcomers to wine. They don't get the fact. For example, Semillon. The first time you taste Semillon, if it's a young wine, say, for example, you pick up a 2010 or 2011 Semillon today, the first thing you're going to say is, oh, my God, this, this wine is sour and it doesn't have any flavor. It's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they make it. You buy Semillon to put in their cellar for three to five years, and then it becomes glorious. So uh, the fact is that there are people who will spend money on wine because they understand where it is in evolution and and where it's going to be in a few years. And there are other people who have never experienced this, and they think they're crazy to spend the money for any kind of, uh, of wine like that. But see, it's educating our public. Let me tell you something I'm extraordinarily guilty of and tell me if I'm a bad person or a bad educator. Something I look at is I love Southern Rhone. I love Northern Rhone. I love Southern Rhone. I like getting into Provence. I like getting into that area where you start getting some of the Syrahs, the Mouvedres, the Grenaches that have that very earthy characteristic. But there is a note in that. Having grown up a little bit uh, down on the coast around Louisiana, all your pylons down there were covered with creosote. And it was a combination of creosote, salt water, earthy, musty. It's really a good smell. And it's something that I know is a disclaimer we talk about in the wine business. But I refuse to use the creosote note anymore in describing these Rhone wines because so many people got turned off by it. I think, I think it's a matter of degree. I think a small amount of a negative characteristic can often be a positive. Um, there are times when I smell something that smells like black pepper. If you got a load of black pepper in your palm of your hand and you put it up your nose, you're going <laughs> to sneeze, and it's not going to be very enjoyable. But the very faint trace of black pepper coming out of a Southern Rhone uh, red wine is a glorious experience. So uh, it's a matter of degree. If you have a trace of something, and, and then in the trace of something else and the trace of a third thing, then what you have is complexity. And to me, uh, great wines always show some form of complexity. They do. Hey, Dan, you're of my generation, too, so I've got to ask this question. When we were coming up Sauvignon Blanc outside of looking at a Sancerre or looking into you know some of the Bordeaux, for, Bordeaux producers, Sauvignon Blanc wasn't as common as it is today. And one of the default always characteristics, whether it was coming from Broadbent, whether it was coming from Robeson, you'd see them describe some of these wines as cat pee. And I remember after hearing that and reading that, it was a selection I would stay away from because I didn't like the smell of it. Now that I'm more astute, now that I'm more studied and have a broader palate, I understand the ammonia component and where they were talking about. But did you find yourself immolated by this? Did you find yourself that you would stay off wines because this was in your subconscious? Not really, because my first experience with those wines actually was in New Zealand, and I tasted the wines <laughs> with the winemakers and was trying to understand what they were dealing with. There are two elements, in, uh, aromatic elements in wine. One of them is terpenes, and the other is thiols, and they're different um, from one another. But when you have a winemaker who understands how to make the best of uh, Sauvignon Blanc by getting a trace of both, both the terpene and the thiol, the end result is a wine that's truly complex, and it's very difficult to not use the term cat's pee. I mean, the fact is that that's common. 
Everybody understands it. Very few people have ever tasted gooseberries, but if you've ever tasted a gooseberry, that's closer to the fact, and it's, and it's not cat pee as much as it is gooseberry, and it's lemon, lime, and it's, uh, it's uh, lemon grass, and it's uh, herbs, and it's green tea, and it's chamomile tea, and it's all of that other stuff, and it's very complex. And I think you're entirely right to like that style of wine because of its complexity, and it's not easy to, to avoid using that term cat tea, and it's unfortunate that it, it became a commonly used phrase because the wine is so much better than that. It is. I like the fact that the word gooseberry has taken the spot now. It certainly makes it easier. Of course, then you have the whole people that will ask you in a tasting, so what does a gooseberry taste like? I don't know. Go buy one. We're not getting into this conversation. That's right. <laughs> so it, it, it's just, it, it's a never-ending cycle. So as we look at the difference between newcomers into wine and old-timers who have well, some of our stuff, I think you used the word correctly. We, we do have some arcane terminology. There is some that's commonly accepted. There is some that's up and coming. Is there one wine term out there that still just annoys you or confounds you, or is there one you wish would just go away? Yes, ma'am. And it's, <laughs> a, it's a particular uh, problem in this world, and it is the phrase, it's the word that is used to describe Riesling, in which somebody says it smells like kerosene or petroleum. It has <laughs> nothing to do with kerosene or petroleum. It is not like that at all. It essentially is a, 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 a compound that comes out of the Riesling grape when it's in full sunlight or in, in aged wines. And the phrase is basically, it's a technical term, it's TDN, just the initials, TDN. And it stands for a, a very complicated uh, a chemical molecule. Uh, it, the TDN smell is an acquired taste. Acquired <laughs> taste. If you like I it, love you it. Love these wines. If you don't like it, don't buy the wine. <laughs> it's very cut and dried. Hey, Dan, it is always fun having you on the crush. And as today has been no exception, hopefully we can have you back at some other point. But thank you for your insight on terminology. And hopefully everybody out there can take something away from it. Terrific. Thanks a lot, Laura. All right. Hey, quick break here on The Crush. When we return, we'll wrap today's show up and, of course, open up to more of your calls and your emails down the road. Why are you so into Pinot? <laughs> I mean, it's like a thing with you. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, it's a hard grape to grow. Thin skin, temperamental. It's, you know, it's not a survivor like Cabernet, which can just grow anywhere and... Uh, thrive even when it's neglected. Nah, Pinot needs constant care and attention. Need a wine recommendation for a party? Want Laura to address something on the show? Email her at lauralawson at winecrush.com. An adult elephant can weigh up to six tons. The average person, 150 pounds. Ever heard of carfentanil? It's a large wild animal tranquilizer. Illegal drug dealers lace heroin with it. It can kill the average human. If you or a loved one is addicted to opiates, even pain pills, don't wait until it's too late. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline now. We care. Many of us have been where you are. We'll take you or a loved one away from the drug environment to a place you can clean out safely. Plus, we'll work with your insurance company to make sure you get the treatment you need. And with a Family Medical Leave Act, you're allowed by law to get away for help without telling your employer why. Call now to save a life. 800-915-9734. 800-915-9734. That's 800-915-9734. The IRS is the most feared agency in the world. You've heard ads from other companies offering to help taxpayers only if they owe over $10,000. Here at Platinum Tax Defenders, we're A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, and we're proud to be one of the only tax firms in the country who understands that people who owe less than $10,000 need help just as badly. The IRS doesn't care how much money you owe. They'll still garnish your wages and even seize your assets. So whether you owe just a few thousand dollars or hundreds of thousands, call now for your free tax consultation. If you qualify, we may even be able to reduce your tax debt down to a small fraction of what you owe. So don't wait until the IRS seizes your property and garnishes your wages. Call 800-856-1330 and get your tax problem resolved once and for all. That number again is 800-856-1330. 
800-856-1330. As I went through school, one giant question loomed over me. What did I want to be? But in order to know what I wanted to be, I had to first decide what I wanted to make. I wanted to make more. So I became a teacher. Now I make learning a privilege, not a chore. And frustration, a tool, not an obstacle. I make working hard seem easy. And giving up, impossible. I make an old subject feel like a fresh thought. And unconventional methods, common. I make material things less important. And little things, like patience and kindness, count. I make weekdays more exciting than weekends, and classrooms feel like anything but. I make things different, which is all I ever hoped for. I'm a teacher. I make more. Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more. Teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. more of the wine crush you're listening to laura lawson and just then that was mr dan berger of the press democrat weighing in on his opinions and how the world looks at wine terminology and i think we have to go back and look at the root of everything no matter what venue no matter whether we're discussing radio sales whether discussing sports there are always going to be terms that are standards whether i'm talking about a fourth down whether i'm talking about a headset whether i'm discussing the closing, there are always certain terms that are going to have to be there to be the foundation of any business, any pursuit, or any hobby. It's how you flesh it out that makes a difference. The key to all of this is finding balance. As we opened up, and even though, yes, we still have no balance here on the show, it's learning the language. It's learning the language of the, like Dan said, of the arcane and picking up the comments along with whether it's TCA, TDN, any of those things that truly factor in our standards or whether it's the comments that you come up with on your own, whether that cherry flavor in Pinot Noir tastes to you like Pop Rocks or whether it reminds you of RC Cola or whether it reminds you of that homage in a Salem hot dog. Everybody has regionalities. Everyone has flavors and that's okay. But to make these your own, make sure that you build a strong enough foundation that when you're at a tasting, you understand the fundamentals and things that aren't going to go away. Should cat pee go away? Should petrol, minerality, and gasoline go away? Perhaps. But ultimately, they are succinct descriptors that everyone can relate to. So keep that in mind. Next time you're sitting next to an old-timers and old-timers, next time perhaps you want to try some Pop Rocks and see what you learn. As always, here in The Crush, reminding you to sip socially, to drink responsibly, to drink what you like, not what you're told, but most importantly, in vino veritas, in wine, there is truth. I'm Laura Lawson, and I'll talk with you next week.